I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is KJ Live with Chris Johnson. And Chris is having conversations with influencers in the sports world and entertainment industry. Now here's Chris Johnson. This is KJ Live. Today's guest on the show is a senior NBA writer and producer and former chair of the National Association of Black Journalists as an NBA senior NBA writer for the Undefeated, ESPN's digital platform that focuses on the intersection of race, sports, and culture. Spears regularly breaks NBA news and publishes long-form content pieces on some of the league's most intriguing subjects. Our guest has also covered the NBA for more than 20 years, including 18 NBA All-Star Games and the 2008 Beijing Olympics, the San Jose State and LSU graduate, has also produced Katrina Cop in the Superdome, an award-winning documentary chronicling the experiences of New Orleans police officer Rhett Charles and other city residents during their stay in the Louisiana Superdome after Katrina. 
please welcome to KJ Live, the legend, <laughs> Mark oh J. Spears is in the building, y'all. What's up, What's Mark? up, bro? What's up, man? Man, I'm chilling, man. Like, hey, man, man y'all Bruins hurt my heart the other day, man. Hey, I, we I, had to get y'all. Hey, hey, you see, I didn't even like, I just said, you got us. <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't even like well, try to act tough about it. Well, that was our Super Bowl, man. Anytime you get a chance to play like an LSU to kind of get your season catapulted, bro, we came, yeah. all the stars got aligned, man. It was just a testament to like us really being up for the game, bro. But, you know, your coach was talking stuff, too. That was funny. You know, he, yeah, he did that. <laughs> but he's a Trojan. He's a, he got some Trojan ties, so I understood But, you it. know, he, yeah, he, yeah, he was feeling himself a little bit. I, I, I didn't too much like that. But, you know, um, when yeah. I got – it was interesting that day in L.A., my two schools, San Jose State, lost to USC. Jeez. Gave their coach's last win before he got fired. And then LSU lost. And I was supposed to go down there because you hit me. You're like, yo, yeah. you coming? I'm and I'm like, nah, man, that's too many people to be around right now. And I'm, I blame COVID, but <laughs> yeah. I'm glad I ain't go. <laughs> oh man, nah, it was, it was good. Although it was, I would have fun seeing y'all. Yeah, I would have fun with y'all. Man, it was good times. Man, you just came back from the Hall of Fame, where you, you know, you you kind of hosted the whole situation out there. Man, talk about how special it was. This is your second time doing it. Talk about how special the the opportunity was, and how special this Hall of Fame class that's going inducted is. Well, I mean, you know, these guys are our era, right? These are dudes like we we might have played against, you know, and perhaps it's getting to the end of our era. So it, it's um, it's certainly been a special year because you got to remember the class of 2020 was delayed mm. because of COVID. So I had to, you know, the honor to host it in the spring. That was Kobe. Yeah. You know, I just I, – I miss him, man. I wish he was here. Just I could only – Imagine what kind of Hall of Fame speech that was, but to be able to be the host of that conf- uh, press conference in the spring, and I covered Kevin Garnett when he played for the Celtics. So KG gave me this, like, like ah, oh, like ah, you know what I mean? Like that was yes, sir. For, from him, that's a lot of respect, you know, oh, KG. Yeah. You know? <laughs> um, and then you know, it, it, it was just uh, Tim Duncan was in that class too, so that was certainly a special class and. I think even with this class, these these were guys that I knew even better. Like I've spent a lot of time with Ben Wallace recently doing this piece, man. I don't know if you got to see it with the undefeated our video team. Did it? We went back to Alabama and went deep with him. And so, like Ben during a press conference, man, he he came up to me and hugged me before he answered questions, and he was in tears. He was emotional, man. He he was emotional the whole weekend. See, Webb came up to me, gave me some love, gave me a hug. You know, I remember being at Arco, interviewing him with the Kings when he was probably mm-hmm. at the height of his career. And then Pierce, I, I covered him when he won a championship. And, you know, me and him been friends for a while. And that's that's my dude, man. He's he's crazy. <laughs> he's he's that crazy dude in a good way, though, man. Like, he don't hold Inglewood. You know how Paul feels? Ask him. You want to know what's going Just on? Ask him, him, tell he, and if you his people, yes, sir. he yes. loves you, man. So dog, nah, that was it was it was beautiful to be a part of that class. I think my only thing that was kind of sad was, 
when they said that Russell was going to get um, in for coaches and getting it, going to the Hall of Fame for the second time, I was so excited about the opportunity to interview Russell in the press conference. But uh, because of COVID, he canceled a couple things. And he, one of the things he canceled was not doing the press conference. So that was like, I miss, obviously miss Kobe. And I got, I didn't get the inter- in a chance to interview Russell. But the rest of the press conference was amazing. The weekend was amazing. You know, it was good to see LeBron in the building during the Hall yeah. of Fame and yeah. show respect to Chris Bosh. It was yeah. it was great to see Jordan in the building and then also to see Russell on stage. Yeah. Like when, how often do you see, you know, LeBron, Jordan, and, and Russell all in the same place? And I, I don't know what happened behind the scenes. I would, I, I would assume that as soon as Jordan was done sitting next to Tony Kukos, he was in a PJ <laughs> or the or the casino in Springfield right afterwards. What are the two? Most right? likely. Most yeah, likely. And, and uh, like LeBron just it, I, if I was a betting man, the reason why Chris Bosch was last and Paul Pierce wasn't, who's like a Celtics legend, was because I think they were timing LeBron's arrival. All of a sudden he just showed up like, oh, LeBron's here. At the end, oh, right? Wow. Oh, I didn't know. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, so he just yeah, popped like in. why was Bosch last? Like, and then all of a sudden LeBron showed up. Like, come on, man! Like, LeBron's pretty powerful. Um, there go Bron again. There go Bron yeah, again. My boy Rob <laughs> Luna from you know Rob, the security guru from the Lakers, was there. So I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I know what's happening tonight, but you know, yeah. How often do you get to see those three guys in the same room? And that's what I was gonna kind of touch on, uh, Mark. When you when you take us back, man, to the origins of everything. When you first wanted to be a sports writer, did you ever think that you was gonna be in a room with Jordan, Russell, Bron on the stage introducing folks at the Hall of Fame? Like, talk about the foundation of it all, how it started for you, yeah. and you know what I'm saying? It, it, it's it's interesting you say that because I knew I wanted to be a sports writer since I was in the seventh grade. But you got to remember, like, bro, when we were coming up, like, the internet was wearing diapers. Like, yeah. I remember when I was at Salisbury State, and they're like, "Yo, we got to give you this email." Like, what in yeah. the hell is an email? Yeah. And they're like, "So you could send somebody a message on the computer." Same with me. I'm like, "Why not just call them?" Like, we, I have a cell phone that I can page them. <laughs> like, yeah. Why? Yeah. Page me, baby. Oh, you remember so, pages? So my point is like. I really got into this to be a print reporter. I didn't I didn't go to school for television. I didn't go to school for radio. Yeah. I thought it was dope to just have my name in a newspaper. I internet wasn't around, but you know, I first started dreaming about being a sports writer in the seventh grade. Uh we had a career day at Silverdale Junior High School in San Jose. And bruh, I swear to God. One of my teachers must have been dating some dude from the Warriors, right? Because San Jose is like a good like forty miles from Oakland. That traffic bad in the morning. So oh, yeah, from the Warriors came to our junior high and spoke, and he was one of the people that spoke. So I went to listen to him. I'm like, I'm gonna get a free jersey, free tickets, bumper sticker, something, basketball. Mm-hmm. He ain't out nothing. Nothing. Right. So when I speak to kids, I try to give them something down because I yeah. remember that. But yeah. for some reason. He pointed at me and he goes, well, what do you want to do when you grow up? And this is, bro, this is what I said. I want to play for y'all. And he said, well, I'm not going to say that you can't, but 
if you don't make it to the NBA, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I don't know. And I remember, because I was reading Sports Illustrated in elementary school, my dad got me a subscription because of how much I love sports. And I remember seeing this stat that said less than 2% of all college basketball players made it to the NBA. And I was this realistic kid now. Like, <laughs> I was like, dang, like, less than 2%? That, that ain't. That's so my mom was playing in college, not playing in the NBA, but that stat was in my mind. But the guy turned to me and said, well, my advice to you, young man, is if you could find a career where you combine what you love most in life with what you do best in school, you'll have a job that you'll be happy to be in every day. That was hell of an advice, right? So my teacher, Miss Thompson, the next day, she said we had to write somebody, uh, write a letter. There wasn't no email yet, right? Yeah. <laughs> we had yeah, actually no, write a letter to hand. somebody we were in a, um, interested in, um, in a field that we were interested in. So I wrote a columnist by the name of Mark Purdy from the Sounds of Mercury News and asked him, how can I be a sports writer? He wrote me back sent me a letter and told me how to be a sports writer. In the seventh grade, he gave me basically a Bible, a, a roadmap from seventh grade through college on what to do to be a sports writer. So let me ask you this. So Mark, for people out there, aspiring sports writers right now, can you share some of the secrets of this Bible or just the yeah. basic foundation of it? Yeah, no, he, he told me to write, this was all in the letter, right yeah. on the school paper now. Mm-hmm. So if you go in the Silverdale Junior High Library somewhere, my first job, I tell people, is I covered the Silverdale Junior High Bears eighth grade flag football team. I was going to their practice. I was writing stories for the school paper while I was in the seventh grade. He said, when you go to high school, take all the typing classes you could take, which probably was the most valuable thing I did in high school was take typing classes. Type, took typing one, two, and three. He said, either join the school yearbook or the school newspaper. I joined the school newspaper. We had a guy from the Sounds of Mercury News who ran our school paper, came in once a week. His name was, a, he was a writer named Mick Van Valkenburg. So okay. I got to touch an actual writer from the yeah. Sounds of Mercury News. And then Mr. Purdy said at the end, he said, when you go to college, take as many internships as possible and also, you know, write on the school paper. So I, I chased the college basketball dream. I went to three different schools. But you know how crazy our lives are. I still wrote on the school paper every single mm. year. I did internships every single year. San Jose Metro for free. Grand Rapids Press. Dallas Morning News. Was an intern with the National Association of Black Journalists. So I wasn't drafted in the NBA. But by the time I uh, graduated from San Jose State, I felt like I was a first round draft pick in, in being a sports writer. And a lot of that, I, I give credit to Mark Purdy for writing me that letter that, you know, basically gave me a roadmap and lit a fire. So at what point, because you hooped in college, at what point did you just say, you know what, I'm not tripping on hooping no more. It's lit- I'm literally going to focus on my intention of becoming a sports writer. Or were you doing both? From the day the I showed time? up? Like- <laughs> So, so you got this? Did you get a scholarship, Mark? Are you? No, or, so, or so this is. We'll, we'll go back. I, I I graduated from Andrew Hill High School. Yeah, in San Jose. I was. Yeah. I, I'll say is I was a pretty damn good high school basketball player. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wasn't KJ. You know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but yeah. 
Well, I I I I did get the better of one of your guys, Chris Dempsey. Ooh. Oh, you did? Oh yeah. Six 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 post. Oh, what, what he was he was he used to go to Bellarmine College Prep. Transfer yeah, schools in San Jose called Santa Teresa. Yeah. I was a senior, he was a junior, and I heard about this bad white boy with hops. Oh, uh, he was bad. Kevin was bad. KD yeah. is one of the co- before he hurt his back. Yeah. So okay, he had like so- a big time chef now. He gonna hear this story. He's gonna be mad. But the first time we played him, I turned into the post. And I put the ball in the glass, and he batted my my shot out the glass, bro. He beat it. He beat and I was like, oh, okay, this dude can play. He's for real. Like, yeah, 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 so yeah. And I started bodying him and bodying him, and we beat him. I think we beat them twice, man. Like, Oh, the body? Yeah, you can't hang with the, they yeah, can't hang he, with the he, body, he bro. He definitely didn't like too much physical, and I, and I nah. was that kind of player. I was like, you, we were physical, boy. Oh, but, that's funny. You know, now, I averaged, yeah, I um, yeah. like 16 and 15 in high school. I think okay. my best game I had um, Piedmont Hills at 32 points and 22 rebounds or something like that. On the glass. On the glass. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. No, I had a 22-24 <laughs> yeah, game. Um, yeah. But my grades were bad. Um, I had a, I broke my, my leg my sophomore year in high school, so that held me back a lot. I had two great players when I, that were seniors my junior year, so I was, like, behind them. So it wasn't. Until AAU, um, before my senior year, that people even really knew who I was. But the one thing that really, you know, and I was like all league. Um, I was third in. I remember I was third in MVP vote, and I was really proud of that because the two guys ahead of me, a guy named Terry Martin, who played at Iona, and a guy named um, Brian Bell, who played at Chico, uh, they were on the team that won the league, and our league finished in fifth. So I was like, if I'm third in MVP and our team finished in fifth in our league, that's that's a compliment from the That's a compliment. Yeah. Coaches. And so I played yeah. in what Major. is called the Central Section, uh Central Coast Section All-Star game, man, with uh mm-hmm. which basically is from San Francisco through the peninsula, through San Jose, all the way to Monterey. Um yeah. and that was a big honor for me. I played in the Pump Classic, unsigned seniors classic. Yeah. Um uh, Brent Berry played in that. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I Columbia University wanted me. Okay. Ivy League school, best journalism program but in the you, country. Now your grades. Now, could you say you had bad grades? But then you had worked on them to get to the point where Columbia was rocking with you, or what? No, this is they didn't see my transcript yet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I said they wanted me. Hey, yeah. They I had a coach from San Jose State that had went and become an assistant there. Okay. Uh, Sawney, Kurt, um, Eric Sawney. And okay. uh, I, I got a good call, too. He re- reached out to me recently. And he wanted mm-hmm. me to come. Yeah. I had a 2.2 GPA, man. Man, that's tough. I had a 2.2 GPA and at East they Side. They couldn't pull no And they were, no, nah, Ivy League school. <laughs> and that's when I woke up. That's when I woke up. I'm cr- I'm still crushed by that. Yeah. That I I mean I didn't get a good. I I got bad advice going into like I went to a high school where there were a lot of kids who were like Section Eight kids that lived across the street and yeah. Um, my family was I call it lower middle class. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like we, mm-hmm. we I I always had I didn't have the newest but I had clothes I had food right. You you get it. 
Um, but I didn't realize that I needed a certain GPA to go to college. Nobody told me that in the beginning. And so when I found out, it was too late, man. I had all these C's because they said you had a, needed a 2.0 to be eligible. And so Columbia wanted me. I didn't have the grades. I got recruited by several different schools. San Jose State at that time was trying to get me to walk on. But I ended up going to junior college. And I went to uh, Foothill College in Los Altos Hills, California, which was called the Harvard on the Hill because their academics were really good. And a lot of the uh, students there ended up going to Stanford or even yeah. Ivy League schools. Stuff and like I was that. like, woke, I was woke up then, realized I wasn't going to the NBA. I needed, I was using college to pay for school and I love basketball. Um, and I just, I just remember, man, that first day of class, they brought us in. They like the set person to your right and left. They're not going to graduate. Like, and it By scared the I got scared yeah. straight. I was, I think I was on the dean's list the first semester. I never made the dean's list again because I figured out the. <laughs> but How to move? I, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, I was just always that when I played, um, went there for two years, Foothill College, and I went to a Division two HBCU. I was supposed to go to Tuskegee, committed there, and then the coach got fired. So I ended up going to a, another HBCU in DC called the uh, District of Columbia. Played there for a season. The academics were horrible. Um, I ended up having a great second half of the season. Scored 32 in what would be my last college basketball game. Um, but the coach there, I remember him, Ed Epps, God rest his soul. He told me, man, if you cared about basketball as you much as you do that goddamn journalism, you'd be a hell of a player. Mm. And so I'm like, coach, if the NBA was interested in me, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> make no mistake about it coach yeah, make I no was realistic man like I would be played at UDC coach you know and I ended up leaving there and transferring to San Jose State and then it got crazy if you love sports and true crime then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me Jay Harris that you won't want to miss playing dirty sports scandals each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape. You can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. 
I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. They got crazy. And so you graduated from San Jose State. You... If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating Cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. 
players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. What was your first gig as far as being a sports writer professional? Your very first So my first job, I covered Arkansas's football and basketball team for the Tulsa World. What year was it? 95. Wow. So, I think y'all just beat them? Yo, yes. They had just won a championship in 94, right? No, in all, 93, or, right? No, I think it was because they beat No, Duke. no, yes. They won yeah, in 94 and they lost to y'all in 95. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Okay, so that's the era? Okay. So when I came in, Corliss was gone. Scotty Thurman was gone. Like All these dudes yeah. had left to the NBA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, then, yeah. and I used to be on campus, and people would be like, "Corliss, Corliss." I'm like, "I'm not Corliss Williamson." You know, you got to remember. <laughs> oh, oh you had the body? How that? No, I had a short haircut, funny. same height. You know, what I'm saying same kind of build. Like, you know, all black people. That's hilarious. Like, Corliss, Corliss. I know. I like. I'm I'm prettier than How? Corliss now. I like, stop. But I was got Arkansas culture shock for you? Well, Tulsa was because I basically lived in Tulsa. And I just went up for oh, football Indian. games okay. and practices. So I lived in Tulsa. Actually, Tulsa is closer to Fayetteville, Arkansas, than it is Norman, Oklahoma, where University of Oklahoma is. So I would, I would drive up. I'd go to all the football games, which was – I mean, like I covered the SEC out of college, which is not normal for kids out of college, especially at that time, mm-hmm. especially a black kid for that matter. Yeah. And, um, but I got mm-hmm. Nolan Richardson, man. Yeah. My first job, I was covering Nolan, which was to this day one of the the greatest things I've ever done in my career to spend two years with Nolan Richardson. And he took me under his wing, man, and really looked out for me and and um it was like after that, why why do I need to be intimidated covering any coach? I covered Nolan. <laughs> like he was the strongest personality as anybody uh, any coaches that that I've ever been around. Right. Mark, let me ask let me ask you this particularly about Nolan. Do you think that that time covering him um uh, for Tulsa for the Tulsa World, do you think that that shaped sort of like the direction you would the uh, direction you went with things you were interested in like so like for instance, the undefeated. Some of the the things that you cover and the long form content that you present or I won't say taboo subjects, but they're of the race, racial nature, and they're stuff you just don't see nowhere else really people talking about. You covered Dirk on this Dirk and Whiskey's interracial marriage. I mean, you just touch on things that, you know, kind of people will think about. Do you think the time with Nolan Richardson kind of helped shape that narrative, or were you already oh, that way? I mean, I, I look, I give Nolan is my guy. But that started from childhood, man. Like, just... <clears throat> Dealing with racism, my racism, my family dealt with. Um, like my mom 
she couldn't go to nursing school in New Orleans uh, that she wanted to go to because, and this was a Catholic school, because she was black. So she ended up having to go to a nursing school in St. Louis, uh, Missouri, where she met my father because it was, it, to go to all black nursing school so she could follow her dream of being a nurse. My dad in the, in the 90s, early 90s, worked for New United Motors, um, which was basically where a Tesla dealership, Tesla manufacturer is in, in Fremont, California, in the Bay, and won a racism lawsuit because him and a bunch of other black managers were training white people and the white people were getting promoted over them after they learned to trade. Um, so, you know, a, a, as a kid, um, sadly, I dealt with a lot of racism, um, <clears throat> from people of all races. I grew up around a lot of, uh, Mexicans. I grew up a lot around, around a lot of Asians. Um, I, I had a, a basketball coach who, um, my freshman and sophomore year who, we took me to a Mexican restaurant. He goes, you know, there ain't fried chicken in there, right? You know, there, you know, watermelon in there. And this is my coach. And talking to yeah. a kid like that. Yeah. I remember I went to a Vietnamese restaurant once just on a hot day to get a soda. And the man went in the back and gave me, came back and gave me a cup of piss. Like, so <laughs> it was, there was stuff I was dealing with like my mm-hmm. whole life. But, you know, my mom used to be a part of this Black Nurses Association in San Jose. Um, and we used to go to the Afro-American Center in San Jose. And I had to find time to waste time. So I would go into the film room. I'm like 10 and eyes on the prizes on. Mm-hmm. That, that amazing award-winning documentary where it basically talked about the civil rights movement. And I learned everything about Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, black folks getting bit by dogs, the white fountains, the, the black fountains. Um, civil rights marches and all that stuff and all these, you know, horrible deaths and lynchings. And I'm like 10 years old learning all this stuff, watching these movies. And it just had an impression on me. And I think what was valuable about my college education is it allowed me to, it's one thing to speak out, but it's another thing to know what you're saying and you know, know how to say it eloquently. And I, I think that, you know, college uh, certainly helped prepare me and, and, and helped me to think out my thoughts before I say them and be more factual and less emotional. And so I think all these things, when, when this job opened with the undefeated, like there were some black journalists that were scared to have that job. Like this is bef- like several years before George Floyd. Like, do you want to go out there and talk about race you know this is pre-trump right and you still got people then like ain't no racism what are you talking about ain't no racism and there were a lot of people that didn't like what i was writing i'm writing about the you know there's so many stories about the lack of black people playing baseball okay i'm gonna write about the lack of white players in the nba which is factual Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. talk about races issues talk about what it's like to be black playing for the utah jazz um talk about the elephant in the room and i i i've enjoyed that this road i've I've enjoyed working there and obviously when uh the previous president was there 
there was a, probably a lot more fire that it showed that the racism issues in this country, the pain of black people, the pain of people of all colors, and that people were like, yo, because they were hating on the undefeated at first, but now they're like, we should have had this long ago. This is necessary. Then you've seen places like the New York Times, the LA Times, different websites, uh, New York Times, like follow up and get some kind of undefeated kind of like jobs. And so I'm I'm honored that Kevin Merida um, and Raina Kelly hired me to be a part of this because this is like the greatest job that I've ever had because it's it's bigger than basketball and writing yes. about who was traded or you know the next trend on your jump shot. No, I'm like telling stories about real life and pain and, and racism that these players have dealt with and telling their stories like having just told the Ben Wallace story recently and he used to pick cotton and go to school with no shoes on. Like Ben Wallace been out of the league for over five years and Ben Wallace started playing this in the league in 96, but you never heard that story, you know? So I'm blessed with the ability to have a job and comfort from a lot of NBA players that they will open up and release their pain to me. And, and I take a lot of pride and, and, um, I, I take a lot of um, care in that. Yeah, as you should. Mark, when you when we talk about the subject of black coaches and black executives in the NBA, it, it starts, you know, it's kind of one of those topics where it's like, who do you, well, who would you rather have, a black executive or a black head coach? Because the, exe- the black executive, you know, is more, maybe more likely to hire a black head coach, et cetera. When you look at that conversation, what are your thoughts on that? Is it what's the level of importance of hiring a black executive in the NBA versus a black head coach? I want a black owner. <laughs> the black owner is the the owner yeah. is the one that controls all of that, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Because yeah. even if you're the general manager or the president or whatever, ultimately it's the ownership that decides what you want to do. You could have a bunch of great ideas, but if the owner of the company says, nah, then hey, what about this guy, uh, James Garfinkel? I like him. You know what I mean? Like, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. Yeah. you know, it's important that even if you're in a position of power, that you're able to implement what you want to do. And so I do think, though, sadly, being realistic. You know, Michael Jordan's the only owner. We're we're not black folks ain't owning teams. People of color aren't really we're starting to own some teams, you know, Nets, Kings. Um I think though that these owners are starting to realize it's kind of interesting you're seeing this with like Deion Sanders too, um, how black athletes are responding to black executives and, and black coaches. Right now, I think there's, if I'm not mistaken, 15 to 17 coaches of color in the league. More than half the coaches in the league are of color now, which is amazing. It is. You know, we we have also have a Hispanic coach and a Latinx coach in Charlotte and and a Asian coach in Miami. We got to remember that too. Like, um, and. Like when you hear Devin Booker and DeAndre Ayton 
saying that having a black general manager who used to play in the league, having a black coach that used to play in the league, makes an, it, it helps me out because I could feel like I could communicate with them better, right? Like, ultimately, I think change happens when, I, I hate to say it, like, when when the players players got to speak out more, man. Like, you think? if they are impacted by, you know, having more black coaches and executives, then they got to say it or, like, it won't happen. I remember having a conversation with an all-star, who I'll leave nameless, about are you involved in who your team is hiring for president? Oh, man, I don't want to get involved in that. I'm like, you're the star. They'll listen to you. You have power to at least get somebody black in the building. I mean, doesn't mean like the white dude ain't the best person for the job, right? But at least get us in the building and let us convince them that we are the best person for the job. That's that's what I think hopefully happens from now on is a true ability to show that we are the most qualified, that we are the best fit. That doesn't mean like it cancels white America from coaching uh, the, the black player. <laughs> If the yeah. white coach is the best guy, hire him. But if the black woman is the best person for the job, hire her. You, you know what I mean? And hopefully, you know, you got these mostly old school conservative owners in this league, but they want success. Right. In the, the same the way, game. they don't look at color. The only color they see with money is green, green. right? <laughs> If, if that black dude is going to help them win games and help their players respond, yeah. if that you know woman is, then I think they're going to ultimately decide kind of like when Alabama started getting black football players. Like, yeah. we want to win. Yeah. Yeah. I want to make like, money. So if the black man or this woman could get us there the best, then that's who I want to hire. And if that's the case, then, hey, man, bro, that's what all we should ask for, right, is a – a fair shake. Don't hire me just because I'm black. Hire me because I'm the best. And oftentimes, we don't have an opportunity to show that we are the best for the job. But it's starting, no, the tide is starting that, to change a little bit. It is. I, I think the opportunity to show is the, the most important thing, the foot in the door. I guess I wanted to get from you was, and obviously the, the player that you mentioned remains nameless, but do you feel like some of the sentiment that he shared, you think most of all, the all-star caliber players in the NBA outside of, you know, obviously the, the outspoken ones that we know about, you think they the, a lot of them feel that way? They don't want to speak up? They don't want to ruffle feathers? I, I think that a lot of them don't realize their power, right? Or um, they're too young to really understand what influence that they could have. Um, a lot of times you don't realize it till you're older in your career and you don't have that power anymore. You don't have that kind of influence anymore. I mean, obviously in Brooklyn, you know, Durant and, and Kyrie had power to influence the hiring of Nash, right? Um, I, I'm sure respectfully i say this little lebron james had had influence on who gets on that staff like i'm sure uh he fizdale is there for a reason right absolutely or but i'm sure he had influence on who the head coach is gonna be like but he understands his power he understands his strength um 
Chris Paul is close with, you know, Monty and with James Jones. So that played an influence on him wanting to go to Phoenix and wanting to stay. Stay in Phoenix. In, in Phoenix. He could have mm-hmm. left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He could have left. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I do think that oftentimes when you're a 22, 23, 24-year-old dude you, and, and we're in this world where we got more money than we ever thought we were going to make, you're not really thinking about how the, you know, the bread is made. And how you can influence that. Because you can't tell me that, like, if Steph Curry goes into a room, that he can't tell the Warriors front office, we need more black representation here. We need more people of color here. You know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely he can. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Like, every superstar has that ability to make an impact. Uh, and And I do think that. You know, hey, look, man, I could beat the ground all the time about the lack of black coaches and and executives. You do the same. But ultimately, we're just we're we're not making a decision. Yes. But I I know like when LeBron was in Cleveland, boy, they were walking on eggshells both times he was there when it came time for him to make a decision about his future. He had power there. All these players have power. But will they exercise their ability to use it? But when they lose that power, <laughs> and, and here's another thing that these guys got to think about. They think they're going to play forever, and they're not. But then when you look at a lot of these coaches, they're not former players. So if you fight for former players to get these jobs now. You open up that pipeline. You open up the pipeline and, and potentially – open up the ability for you to have that job when you're done. And that's what I'm saying. Then they don't, they're not thinking like that. They're thinking today. The one best thing they have done, the players have done, I think in the last 10 years in terms of the the future was getting medical insurance. Mm -hmm. Your father who played in the league over 10 years, right? Yep. Yep. He and his wife and his young daughter, I mean, you good. Yeah. But they got the best of head medical insurance the very, rest of their very life. Very good. Very good. Very right? good medical insurance. Yes. yes. The best of yes. medical insurance. Yes. Right? Premium. <laughs> that premium so that's something that Chris Paul did that was amazing. That's right? Awesome. It was get that. But they got to remember, like, the same way you want to, which is good with the minimum contracts in terms of letting veteran, veterans stay in the league longer by paying half their salary, mm-hmm. start getting we, – we, we shouldn't see – Jerry Stackhouse at Vanderbilt. He should be coaching in the NBA, mm. right? We shouldn't see. What about Jawan? Like Jawan should be coaching. Patrick. He, he played it. He paid his dues. Patrick how, Ewing, how does Patrick man. Ewan not get a chance, right? But you see a lot of coaches, and this is with all due respect, who've never played one game in the league, who've got an opportunity. And the I'm not point, saying they didn't pay their dues and get their opportunities, but the players, you got to protect this league for you in the future too. And you, I've seen players who have big names that can't get in. And, I remember, the, bro, I remember telling Robert Pack, my guy, Robert Pack, yeah. we had this big debate about whether he should coach in the G League or not as an assistant. And I said, Rob, just get in the door, man. Just get in the door and see what happens. And then Rob ended up getting in the door Ended up making it to the NBA. We got to get him back in as a coach because he was with the Washington staff. But a lot of 
NBA players don't want to do that. Like, don't no, feel like they don't. They have to do that. No, they don't want to put their foot in the door, uh, the, the start at the ground floor type of role. But yeah. the ones who do, they ascend the ranks pretty quickly. Mark, I've I've seen the ones that are, are willing to grind. They 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 raise the rise in the ranks pretty quickly. Yeah, and then they might feel like like Kenyon Martin, who I think has a tremendous basketball mind. Oh, he's too tough, too crazy. You know, God bless the Nuggets for giving him an opportunity this summer, but he needs to be a coach. He, he's he's got a – well, now Rasheed Wallace, eh, we'll let him go to Memphis. Bonzi Wells, he'll go to some – like, how did – they were young guys with a lot of power who – but you can't tell me that those guys can't come into the NBA and help somebody. What's interesting is that the guys you just named, from Sheed to Bonzi um, to who else did you name? You named somebody, but they Kenny all Martin. three. Kmart. All three are like, we're in the league. We're like fiery, tough dudes. Yeah. Didn't take no shit. You know, those type of cats. So it's like, you think cats are afraid to bring a dude like that in at the helm yeah. or, or, or bring you in on the staff because of that, that in, in any capacity? Yeah. Like, I, I think one of the great under the radar hirings this summer was Nick Van Exel being hired by Atlanta. No, I love it for Trey. Like yeah. quick. Now quick yeah. was an asshole when he played for the Nuggets, and I love him and he respects this. He will tell you that he, can I say that? I'm sorry. Yeah, you can. Yeah. He, he was an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> he was, he was tough to deal with. Hey, he had a big ego, be. but he was a bad yeah. ball player. Now you yeah. saw it in LA. He got buckets. Absolutely. He's he one of the great coldest. Assists. And Ooh. if it wasn't for like a guy named maybe John Stockton, uh, <laughs> perhaps we would be and Gary Payton, we would be talking about Nick more. Um, right, right. But Nick was an amazing dynamic scorer and passer. So now, how can we bring Trey Young to the next level? They brought mm-hmm. Quick in, and I think Quick perhaps was held back as a coach a little bit because of the past. Man, he's a mm-hmm. totally different dude. This dude is more worried about his coffee, uh, how much sugar he got in it, because he like cold brew coffee. Then <laughs> that's so the funny. Club. That he was so funny. No, yeah, he ain't twenty no more. Yeah. But Quick's basketball mind is brilliant, right? And Atlanta was smart enough to realize that maybe Travis Schlink knows him from Quick's days in Golden State, the Quick time he had with the Warriors. Mm-hmm. How could I bring? Trey up. Let, let me bring somebody in who was bad like Trey yeah. that could just work with him and make him better, which is yeah, under I'm, so many former players now that even if you use them in an assistant coach role, like can help teams, could help young stars right now. And also you, teach them the perils of how your your immature young mistakes could be held against you. Young fella, let me, you know how the young fella back, I let, learn from me, young they need more of those guys in the locker room, those old heads. No, qu- hey, no question about it. That's how you learn and figure out how to move in these rooms and these circles of these pros. You know, it's the young fella. They put the arm around, yeah. you start talking that stuff, and they just try to give you some game. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, 
Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Here's, here's the thing that I, I wanted to ask you, and it kind of goes along in this same sort of wheelhouse. It's about mental health. Do you think like... So mental health can kind of take on a bunch of different faces and shapes. It's, it can be an issue that's personal or a larger one, whatever. But I feel like we define it as a negative too much, right, as far as it, it in terms of our athletes, where positive mental health isn't necessarily focused on. So just like this point about having a mentor that'll be in your ear, an old head that's pop, trying to teach you positive ways to deal with stuff, cope, whatever it is that you guys are talking about. How come that's not sort of pushed more or talked about more in particular in the NBA? Mentorships yeah. that have to do with mental health. You know what I mean? Well, starting with mentoring, one thing that uh, Kiki Vandeweghe actually acknowledged he made a mistake on was Melo's rookie year. You'll, you'll laugh at this story. Melo's rookie year, Camby was on the team. 
Yeah, I remember. But in the, the roster was a lot of young dudes and a lot of dudes that's trying to hang on, right? Yeah. And so after one of the practice, Camby goes, yo, it's Junior Harrington's birthday. I don't know if you remember Junior Harrington. Bro, I was out there, Mark. Mark, I went to a mini camp. So I remember Junior. This is when McDice, Rafe, Vashon no, Leonard. This is after. This oh, is, this is after them? Okay, okay. No, this is you, this is this is Melo's rookie year. Oh, this is 0803. This is 03. Yeah. So yeah, you when 03. did you okay. go to mini camp with the Nuggets? So I think I think it was so Kiki, Clyde Drexler, Louis Dampier yeah, was, was an there. assistant. So yeah. I was there too, bro. Yeah, I was yeah, there. Yeah, I was yeah. there. I, I went for like a little mini camp busted. I, I did well, well I was, but I remember, yeah, yeah, you were fifty four. I remember. Yeah, yeah, Cronky was around. He was on the oh, bike. Yeah, you know, yeah. Big no, Cronky was, was on the bike. So you don't, you know you don't remember me. <laughs> I was there. I, I know you was. I, I know was you there. Was. But um, that's dope. That's dope. I, I, yep. I, I need to see some some preseason stats. Yeah, we do. We <laughs> <laughs> were at the powder blues, but. Um, <laughs> So Mello comes in, Junior Harrington's birthday, and after practice, Camby goes, all right, I need all the rookies to sing happy birthday. Okay. Mello's like, I ain't singing. And this is when they used to let us in practice. Like, we used to be able to go to, like, practice the whole time and, like, show up when the players were starting. And I loved it. I hated it and I loved it because we had to be there for three hours. But then I started learning so much more on why guys, certain guys weren't playing. Who had a great work ethic? Who was lazy? Right? Mm-hmm. And Melo was like, "I ain't, I ain't, I ain't singing." And I was thinking, if Melo had gotten drafted by Detroit, and if he would have said that to Banshee, Chance, Rip, Tay, they would have been on his head. Yes, Camby was no by question. himself, right? Because there wasn't really like a lot of veterans on the team. Oh yeah. And he's like, "All right, man." And all of a sudden, so the other rookies are singing "Happy Birthday." Mello was beatboxing. Oh, he, making a beat to the beat. <laughs> okay. He was beatboxing happy birthday, okay. right? Okay. <laughs> so, so the point of the story is, at that point, I was like, oh, Mello's running the team. He's running the team. Like, if he's basically saying, I ain't doing this, and the vets let it go, then he was running the team. And that was yeah. like the biggest mistake the Nuggets had because Camby was a starter. He didn't have time to worry about Melo, right? Mm-hmm. But they, they, Kiki almost signed Lafonso Ellis to basically be in the locker room and right. keep an eye on him, on Melo. And Melo said he wished that he had some vet that he respected that mm-hmm. had that time mm-hmm. to kind of like be in his tail. Yeah. Made sure he got in early, left late, worked, kept an eye on them when they went out. Because, yeah. you know, the team players typically went out together. He didn't have that. And I think that's why he had a lot of struggles early in his career. And I, I, I told him that Lafonso Ellis story. He's like, man, I wish they would have did bring somebody like that in. So I do think it's important for teams, especially with young stars, to have some older player at the end of their career that could be in there and help and guide him and has time. Camby didn't have mm-hmm. time. Camby was trying to do, live his life. He was yeah. in the peak of his career, right? He didn't have time to mm-hmm. worry about Melo. Same right. way Bean, Kobe. Like, luckily, he had a Byron Scott. But I was around that team a little bit because I was at the L.A. Daily News. 
Mm-hmm. Man, Shaq and them dudes didn't have time for Kobe at the yeah, practice they back then. <laughs> they was going to Century Club, bro. They didn't have time for him. The gate, guard yeah. the eating and yeah. all that. Yeah, like Nick Quick didn't have time for him. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Eddie Jones and them. No. Nah. The dudes are still there. Today. They was like, we in, we in these streets. He wasn't 21 Please. yet. And you know, Please. in Cali, they look at your age now. They ain't sneaking you in uh, there. All day. They, they, you, yeah, you can't get in. License. So, but I think it was good for the Lakers that they did have Byron Scott there. And so it's important that every NBA team, I think, which helps a young player stick around, has an old head. To the other part about mental health, Mm -hmm. I actually think there is better mental health help than there ever has been in the NBA. Mm -hmm. When you were coming up, Mm -hmm. when you were trying to make the Nuggets, it didn't exist. Remember, like the Nuggets did have this guy who was like the brain doctor or something like that. Well, I dealt with the brain doctor at UCLA. Yeah. He could tell your personality profile yeah, just by tell, watching yeah, you yeah. move. But yeah. but did he really help you? Did yeah. he did yeah. he understand what a black young black man was going through? Right. No. It was just it was yeah, it's identification, but it wasn't any type of solutions uh, yeah. that that were offered. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But and but Mark, so, yeah. But but no. But my point is, every team now they don't publicize it. But pretty much every team now has their own on-call or full-time psychologists. Several of them are black, um, which I think is important. So, like, several more black females, which I think the players open up to more. It's like they're talking to their mom, their sister, their aunt. Yeah. And so I think they have resources now that when you were, you know, getting in the NBA, working on getting an NBA did not exist. I don't yeah. think they really existed 10 years ago, but they mm-hmm. do exist now. There is help now if they want it. Um, and that some teams do a much better job than others, but there, I, I do think that there is an ability to get help quietly that uh, we probably don't see. I've been wanting to write a story about it, but a lot of these teams don't want their people to talk. Mm. Well, it's it's a t- delicate subject, probably, yeah. you know, as far as that type of thing. But I do I do like the fact that they are making steps to address and at least there's resources, because if you remember back in our day when we hooped, it was a major stigma associated with mental health. And it was something that, you know, you mm. guys wouldn't want to talk about, especially going through stuff like well, I used well, to go black black men in particular. Like, we you know, because we already. Yeah, you already don't. Bro, you talk. know how many of us have PTSD from just. Like things they stuff. saw growing up, yes, man, in, in yes. the streets. It's a real thing, man. Yeah, like, a, man, like, and and to cope on our own, to yeah. be able to cope without this stuff, it speaks to the character yeah. resiliency and like you know we still be trying to do the right yeah. thing. That's the yeah. craziest part of it. And all. We laugh and tell these stories now, but oh man, they had this drive by, or I was in this club, and these dudes start fighting. It's like man, it, 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 it sounds funny to talk about it now, or some of the gang stuff you saw growing up in L.A. Yeah, it was wild. Like, shoot, man, I remember being in high school and getting chased by five dudes from East Palo Alto and had oh, to, yeah. like, oh. hide in the gas station to keep from getting beat up. The, like the funny, the funny story Bob Myers always talks about, tells us back at UCLA, was like, yeah, man, I, my dad dropped me off at this court in East Palo Alto and I had to go hoop. And it was, like, one of the craziest experiences he had, but oh, yeah. he gained some he gained some respect. So I understand what East Palo Alto is all about. Bro, yeah. there was one time we got, you know, because we used to drive around the different parks 
you know, five us at a time, yeah. two cars, you know what I'm saying? And go you get the runs in. in LA. Yo, you had to be deep. You had to have a lot of people with you. Yeah. And you had to be, you know, you couldn't really run your mouth like that because you never knew who had something on them yeah. or what, you know. So it I was mean, like shoot, that. your dad taught us in the movie. The white man can't jump about running about. He gonna go get his other gun. Oh yeah. man, that was that was hilarious. But man, um, staying on that sort of mental health, I, I I wanted to get your take. This is somebody that works in the league, covered the league for so long. So you've watched sort of the evolution of this cannabis use amongst NBA players as a way to cope with different aches and pains when they're not comfortable to deal with traditional medicines, etc. I know the league. They banned it in what ninety nine, and then along with the dress code to sort of reshift the image of the NBA. But now it's at a different place. What are your thoughts oh, on the man, cannabis bro. subject? In the bubble. <laughs> oh, I heard. <laughs> hey, I heard, bro. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I think I went into the in the towards the final days of the bubble when a lot of the teams, most of the teams were eliminated. I oh, swear Lord. it was a big old package of weed that was like a box full of weed that somebody just didn't pick up. Oh, my goodness. It was just stanking up the whole downstairs. It was well packaged. You know oh, what I mean? Dude. Like, you couldn't smell anything, but you knew what it was. Absolutely. Like, man, look, man, I'm I'm not a uh, somebody that smokes weed, and I never have. True. True. Um, but I live in Cali, and anybody that hey, – but I love a glass of wine. I think you know that. Oh, yeah. So who am I to tell somebody not to smoke weed, right? Like, <laughs> my weed friend, well, wine is more dangerous. And I'm like, bro, smoke your weed. I don't – that makes yeah, you feel good. Tripping. Do it, man. Like, and yeah, I, yeah. I think those – we're in a progressive state. Like, we, yeah. we've always – like, A lot so different than the rest of the world. We 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 hadn't thought twice about weed since in the nineties, bro. Since Dr. Mm-mm, Dre came mm-mm. out, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like we don't care. Yeah. Like, yep. nah, so it's kind of like funny, that, like man. it's still a big deal uh, now. Like, yeah. and it's funny because now it's called cannabis. We call it cannabis. Can- right, well, they had to change the name. You know, they had to change it and make it better. sound. Do you remember yeah, cannabis? Remember, cannabis, it's cannabis. We we have cannabis delivery. I see these billboards. I'm like, nah, y'all got some people. Y'all y'all arrested all these brothers for selling weed on the corner. Weed, okay, yeah. like Stephen A. Smith say, weed. Yeah, Stay you, off you, the weed, yeah, bro. You, you got, all, right, all these brothers went to jail for selling weed, but now you legally can deliver cannabis to somebody's house. Like, come on, man. Like, come on, man. man. Let them brothers out of jail, right? Absolutely. But it's, um, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, uh, it, it's funny because I actually, you see if you remember this, remember when Mello got in trouble for bringing, got busted for bringing weed on a plane when he was with Denver? Oh, man. Yeah, I do. And I do. He had a backpack that had some weed in it. And he had this dude named Slim that took the rap for him because mm. he said it was Slim's backpack. I've been wanting yeah. to talk to Melo about this because this is like yeah. funny to me. It's funny now. Well, <laughs> yeah. it was like this big deal, but Melo had weed in his bag and some dude named Slim. I think Slim got a nice check, you know, took, took the, the rap, which is like a, now you think about it, it was just silly. It was stupid. Like he had yeah. some weed in his bag and then now he has a weed company. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, it's and, wild. And like and so, it, but it was funny, like, 15 years ago, Melo basically almost went to dang jail 
for having weed in his bag, and now he's no, making it's, money it's off. Amazing. And it's amazing to see all the athletes that are involved on the cannabis side on the professional level that are making money off of it. Of that's uh, good. I know Al Harrington, Stephen oh, Jackson, AI, Matt he's Barnes. Killing. You know yeah, these guys are advocates. They are advocates, and for the right reason. That when you hear them talk about it, man, you 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 really get an understanding that they really took take it serious, and they're really concerned about you know the health benefits. And, and I'm glad like, they're making money off of it, man. As I'm, they should. I'm glad they, they, they and they're very they're experts. <laughs> <laughs> Try it and test it, okay? Hey, they don't even have to go like learn about. It. They don't need to go to no class. They know. <laughs> they already. They've been yeah, known. No, they can tell you anything you want to know about any kind. Oh man, that's so. They funny. know more about weed than they do who. I know. Which is saying a lot. That'd be know? the crazy part, but yeah, more hey, power shout to, out to Al Harrington, who was way ahead of the game. He he's been ahead of it. He's killing it. Yeah, and, so and I hope that any. NBA player who decides to invest in something, man, invest in Al. Yeah. Invest in one of your guys, man. Like, Absolutely. Absolutely. We like AI him. did. I'm glad AI teamed up with him. Yeah, he you locked know? in. Yeah. Mark, uh, I wanted to get an understanding of why you went back to school and decided to get your master's degree in sports management. I know you, you graduated from LSU in 2019. Why did you do that? As a, You're already established, you know, yeah. so why would you add that to your repertoire? Um, You know, one of my favorite sayings I got from former Nuggets head coach Jeff Buzdelic is always stay two steps ahead of the posse. Mm. And I, I kind of felt like I don't like just standing still. I always want to better myself. My mom has a master's degree. My sister has a master's degree. I don't like them being ahead of me either. (laughs) I I got an AA degree from Foothill College. I got Mm -hmm. a bachelor's from San Jose State. And I've always wanted to have one, but I wanted to better myself. So how could I not only get my master's, but better myself in the process? And I thought that in my line of work, learning more about the business of sports than I already did know, certainly could benefit me. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's why I decided to go into sports business management. Believe it or not, I actually tried to go to Columbia for a second. Okay. And uh, just to right or wrong from high school. And they they got me in, or but it was like I had to take the GRE, and it was expensive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my family's from Louisiana. My parents live in New Orleans. I always had New Orleans ties and loved LSU and the Tigers. Yeah. Spent sure. summers in Bunny Friend Park in New Orleans and, you know, the Seventh Ward and the Night Ward and, you know. Oh, you in the thick the of best it. Best of gumbo okay. and, you know, mm-hmm. eating. You don't even know what Huckapuck is. You know what Huckapuck is? No, nah, I don't know what Huckapuck is. It's like is, the bro. Dixie Cups and they used to put Kool-Aid in them and freeze them. And the white lady used to sell them for 10 cents. And we used to go get Damn. the Huckapuck. So, like, yes, I have a lot of, like, a lot of people think I'm from New Orleans. I'm from the Bay. Okay. But I could tell you how to get to Chapatula Street. Like, New Orleans is my second home, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I just started talking to the LSU people, and they had this great sports business program. And they're like, yo, with your experience, they waved the GRE for me, which was like, cool. <laughs> like, That's love. That's love. Yeah, like, they, they wanted me to be a part. Like, they recruited me. Mm-hmm. LSU, like, recruited me to be a part of it, to yeah. be a part of their program. And, man, it was a great two years. Shout out to Professor Martinez, man. I learned a lot. And, man, the football program has, like, embraced me. 
the basketball programs embrace me. They send me swag. Like, oh, that's so sick. Like, that's the best now, part. Sound they State footballs embrace me too, and they like they still love me yeah. at Sound State. Stay. But I got in in Foothill yeah. College. They got some like all of them take care of me. But LSU like embraced yeah. me as a family, um, and I learned a lot. So that's dope. I, I thought that there's going to be a day when perhaps I don't do this anymore. Maybe a mm-hmm. team might want me to work for them or a league might want me to work mm-hmm. for them in a senior role mm-hmm. or I could be a professor. Mm-hmm. So as you know, mm-hmm. like I can't teach at UCLA without a master's, right? I can't mm-hmm. teach at San Jose State without a master's. So it's me trying to stay two steps ahead of the posse. And oh, that's, that's why I wanted to get my master's degree. And it wasn't easy. It was hard. But I was so proud when I got it. and. You know, I ended up, I went to the ceremony, even though I did it online, I went to Baton Rouge with my mom and she was really proud. And, and my now wife, we went and, you know, it's funny, yeah. like we get there, I'll tell you the story real quick. And I'm driving up and this brother comes up to the window and he goes, what's up, man? How you doing, man? I'm like, hey, man. He goes, Mark, you don't remember me? I met you at the uh, All-Star Game in New Orleans. You were really, really nice to me. I was like, oh, okay, good. Good to see you. He's like, yo, I work in the uh, LSU football um, department. You want to come in and take pictures in your cap and gown in the, in the, in the locker room? Oh, in the, in the football locker room? Yeah. Oh. He said, we got recruits in. You know how the recruits Dang. be taking all those pictures and stuff? He's yeah. like, you could take them yeah, with your cap yeah, and yeah, gown. Yeah. Like, yeah, I'm supposed to be standing in line getting ready for graduation. Bruh, I go in the Tiger oh, Stadium, sick. go in the locker room. You know how, like, all the players take the recruiting? Like, I'm in the, I'm in the lockers. I'm by these footballs. Yeah. It's, like, all oh, purple and yellow. You know oh, what I'm saying? And that then sick. I'm taking all these pictures, and I'm like, ah, I got to go get ready for the graduation. He goes, you don't want to go on the field? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you could take some pictures on the field. Dang. So, Death Valley. man, I came out. I, there's video of it. I hit the wind bar. I'm in my cap and gown. Yeah. I go on the field at Tiger Stadium by myself. God, that's wild. They take pictures of me. We walk back in. Guess who's standing there? Ed Ogeron. Jeez. So, I mean, you know, he had no idea who I am. Probably oh, okay, okay, okay. It was just okay. fine. He don't need to know who I am. He meets my mom. And they start talking about... um. My mom, my mom is a saint, but I think she lied. She told Ed Odron, I pray for you before every game. (laughs) (laughs) I look at her like, you do? You do? pray for LSU football before every game, Oh, that's funny. I'm going to go with it. And she said, yeah, you do. She's like, you a Christian woman? She's like, yeah. They start talking religion. And Ed Ogeron and my mom walk onto the football field, start having this long conversation about religion. religion. Wow. I'm like, I got to graduate. <laughs> like, mom, <laughs> mom, mom, come back. No, I left her with Ed Ogeron on the football field and took off. And you ain't graduated. And went, went, and they, it they ended up watching it and everything. I don't know how much longer she talked to him. Oh, that was that's dope, her. Ed Ogeron, don't say nothing about Ed O now. No, that's a great story. That's a great story. Yeah, but man. LSU has showed me a lot of love, but they yeah. they showed me love with that their education, and I feel like I know a lot more about the business of basketball, about the business of sports. Yeah, 
and like it's funny when we talk about we wanted to get the teams moving and stuff like that. But I start breaking down to my friends like why this makes sense, why this doesn't make sense. TV markets and revenue sharing and all. I'm like, damn, you own it. Oh yeah, you got you my masters in this, dog. Hey, come on, bro. Yeah, love it. I love to hear it, Mark. Man, that was a, that's a, that was a great story. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed up. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Do you love Selena? Like, really love whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stan the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Um, so, man, it's, we're about an hour in, man. I, I just got really one more one more comment from you, bro, mm -hmm. uh, that, I, that I wanted to grab. And I and I. And I ask everybody that I've interviewed over the last six months the same question. It's been about 75 different interviews. Um, if you could, just share with us your most memorable story about Kobe Bryant. 
Wow. Well, there's some I can't put on. <laughs> well, the ones we can share. The ones uh, we can. PG-13. Can I tell two? Yes, please. Please, um, please do. One time, uh, I went to interview him. And he took care. He used to take care of me, Chris, man. Like, I would meet him talk via email. And I'm big on email because players change their phone numbers all the time, but they don't change their email. That's that's a little gift for the yeah. <laughs> journalism people listening. They don't change their email. So I'd email him, hey, I'm coming to town. I'm coming to practice. I would go to media day, and he would always – he'd talk to everybody, but then he would put me on the side for 10 minutes. And I remember all the media people would be looking at me pissed and everything. Nice. Don't hate the player, hate the game. The game used to take care of me, man. Word, used to give word. me some great one-on-one interviews. And mm-hmm. so one time, he was with my man, Nico Harrison. Shout out to Nico. Congrats on Nico. the Dallas job. Him yeah. and Nico, Nico was always by his side. They're leaving practice. And I'm at a practice and I go to interview Bean. I said, Cove, you got a couple minutes before you leave? And um, he said, um, no, not, not for you today. I'm like, what are you talking about? Bro, I had this beautiful Adidas sweatsuit on. <laughs> like, head to toe. What, the like, you know, we we like big dudes, so yeah, it's so hard you know how to get something that fit right. Yep, yep. You know, but it was this ooh, it was this black Adidas sweatsuit with the black shoes of match. I was looking oh, good shoot. that day. Fly. And it fit Fly. right. It was almost mm-hmm. like it was tailor made. It fit that good. Oh, He's I like, that. I ain't interview, I ain't doing an interview with you wearing that. Oh, and I'm like, why? He's like, really, dog? And he and he's Nike drip, head to toe. And it hit me like, damn, he did have a bad breakup with Adidas. Uh, and I'm like, he's like, I'm just not doing that. And I needed this interview bad. I'm like, come on, man. He's like, look, this is what you're going to do. I said, what's that? You're going to go. I'm going to give you the interview. But when you go home, you're going to throw all that away. And you're going to take a video of you throwing it away. And you're gonna... <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yes. I, I, I don't he said, know. I want to see it in the trash. That sweatsuit in the trash. What? And I need proof that you threw it away. Do you want the interview or not? And I was like, yeah, bro. I want the interview. So I did the interview. And literally when I went home, I had somebody videotape me throwing it down the trash chute. So, so you it wasn't really even like a trash can. It was a trash chute because I lived in an apartment in Jack London. So you was done. So that was it for it. So that, that was, was it. it. It wasn't coming back. It wasn't coming back. No, bro. it wasn't a trash chute. You didn't want to go in that trash. It was a for an apartment complex trash. How, how did that make Mark? How did that and make the you shoes feel too? Going to, but how did that make you feel? Was it worth it, Mark? Yes. At the end of the day. Yes. For any <laughs> being interviewed at that time. Yes, yes. sir. And yes, what I learned from that is there's another little journalism tip. Anytime I interview a player, I either put my cold hands on because the cold hands is like, remember in South Central or the hood, like East Side Saddles, like East, East EPA, you better know what colors are in different neighborhood. Oh, yeah. But oh, if yeah. you wore white and some like you blue could. jeans, you could probably get away anyway, yeah. right? Yeah, blue jeans are blue jeans, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So, my point is, I would wear shoes or clothing that if I talk to Curry, I'm wearing Under Armour. Like if I'm talking to Dame, I wear Adidas. Adidas. And if I talk to Draymond Durant, I wear Nike. Like I Pro wear tip. it based on who I'm talking to. 
Because I learned Absolutely. about one lesson. And you, if you think these dudes is not following that. You got another thing coming. You got another thing coming. <laughs> <laughs> so now oh, that's, that's the lesson story. I learned from that. Like I, I'm very like I, I interviewed CP yesterday, but I had Kohans on, so it was I was neutral, right? Um, yeah, I, I was dressed you, up, you know. Suited and booted, suited but and booted. You gotta, you gotta pay, them dudes pay attention to that. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they um, do. The only other story I'll tell: we got time, or you got to run? Yeah, we got plenty of time, bro. So when he played his last game at Golden State, I was at the game. And he saw me waiting for him in a locker room. You know that Golden State locker room. You visiting locker room at that time was like the biggest in the league. It's huge. Yeah. For yeah. visiting team, it's huge. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And he goes, um, somebody came up to me and said, uh, Kobe said to come in the training room. I ain't never been in no training room like a media person. But if Kobe yeah. said to come in the training room, take your butt to the training room. I'm, I'm going so to we, the training room. So we go in there. And we have like this long conversation. And the one thing about him, if you was one of his people that I loved about him is he he really cared about you as a person and care and 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 cared how you were doing and how your family was doing. And I think the first time we really were able to connect was after Hurricane Katrina. And he he played there's this if somebody wants to look it up, there's this great game on YouTube that you could probably find now where it was a charity game for Hurricane Katrina that was took place in Houston. All these NBA superstars played in it. Kobe, Shaq. It was on Kobe, TNT. Yeah. Kenny Smith it was on TNT. The game. Yeah. yeah I remember. Chauncey played yeah, in it. Like yeah, Iverson, like all of them was in it. And that's when me and Kobe connected because he was he actually pulled me to the side and was asking me about my family and my parents who had evacuated. Um so we had this long conversation and Oh, he actually he actually asked you about that? Yeah. He asked like, you pulled about me that? aside and he heard my family oh, wow. was in New Orleans That's and like real. literally asked me about That's how real, they were dog. doing and stuff like that. So anyways, um fast forward at that time, kind of felt like something was changing with my career. Uh the undefeated stuff was slowly starting to come up and I kind of gave my heads up on it. And um I, I after I got the job he was one of the first people I emailed because we had a real, I was actually worried about our conversation getting on air. Cause that's when, um, um, Spike Lee was filming all that stuff oh, for his oh. documentary. And they were, yeah, yeah, yeah. the camera crew was in the room when me and him spoke. Now I would love to have that video personally. Now, if I could about that conversation, I wish that if you ever run across somebody who worked on that doc, I bet you they could probably find it deep, deep in the archives, but we talked for about 15 minutes. And, but I sent him an email, basically told him I got the job and he sent me an email back saying, Hey man, I'm proud of you. Continue to use your voice. And if you need anything from me, man, don't hesitate. And I've been meaning to print out that email and like put it on this wall somewhere. As you you know, I, I need to do that. Um, but the last time I, I saw him was about a year after I was in the undefeated, he when he got his jersey retired. That was a, not the last time I saw him, but the last time we got to speak. Um, yeah, I remember. I, I think you got the video of that. Yeah, right? yeah, he he came up to me. Is that big spirit? Yeah. Is that big spirit? Yeah. And I love he, that video, he man. actually was congratulating me for my career and what I was doing with the undefeated. 
And I'm like, bro, you you see me? I'm like, you just retired. Like your jersey. This is about yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This ain't about me, but that showed you what kind of man he was. That he hadn't seen me. We had emailed or talked, whatever, but and done in, interviews and everything on, but we hadn't seen each other. And he was like, um, "Hey, man, congratulations!" And I was like, "And the, even in this time of getting his jersey retired." He thought it was important to tell me congratulations, man. So I, I, I'm still not there with it yet. You know what I mean? I still haven't figured it out yet in my mind. Um, but no, I, I, w- I was sad when he retired. I think that was the only time when a player retired that I was like, damn. He was great. He was great to me. And then him being gone, I, I still haven't come to like a, a complete realization about that. No, that's one of the toughest things we that we've had to deal with, man. Like yeah. as a basketball community, bro. Yeah. Like yeah, that ain't going I, away. Yeah. Oh no, man. It's deep. It's yeah. too deep. I, you go to LA and y'all got a reminder on every corner. Yeah, I can't even yeah. You can't walk anywhere without thinking about any neighborhood in LA. That's love it, too. Major love. He's any king. neighborhood in LA, you're gonna see a mural. Yeah, Some man. are better than others. Yeah. <laughs> Some resemble Kobe a little more than others. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but man, it's funny though when when you talk to people and how all these stories about Kobe's character, the unbelievable nature of his character, are now starting to come out. It, it makes you realize that the Black Mamba, his on court persona, that whole thing that was that was just really what it was. Well, but no, that was work ethic. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That that, that was like work ethic. Um, and- but I, like but he, I think I, yeah. when he, you know, when you saw Jordan, the last dance, like go to come to tears, like that was like the moment of the last dance. I always remember because he wanted greatness so much that in order to get it out of other people, he felt like he had to be a jerk to get them to respond. And that a lot of that was in Kobe too. Like I could imagine the conversations that Jordan and Kobe had late at night because I don't know that anybody really they, they had anybody else to relate to that mentality. That Mamba mentality, that Jordan esque mentality, like that I want greatness at all costs. I know you're not as great as me, but I'ma push and prod you to bring you to a place that you didn't think you could get to. And uh so it was funny because so many people thought that Bean was a jerk and that Oh my goodness. He was one of the greatest people in the world, like smartest people in the world. Another thing he did behind the scenes that was brilliant. And I implore any NBA player, especially the stars to do this. One of the reasons, I mean, being in LA affords you treasures, right? You're going to meet people wearing that Laker uniform affords you treasures. But when he would go meet with people after games, it was always these influential people he would scout them in the same way he scouted their opponents. So if you were so-and-so from Microsoft and you got to meet Kobe after the game, because the only people he was meeting after game were either people that, you know, kids who something tough was happening with them, right? Or somebody of ilk, somebody of note, like got to meet him. And you would see these people several times after Lakers game. You see these like very important people like nervous. He would come in and be like, oh, hey, uh, so-and-so, pleasure to meet you, man. Oh, man, what you doing with Microsoft is amazing. Yeah, you guys did this, this, and this, and this. And that's like 
So he was like calming them down, taking away the nervousness because they would be shocked. Like, damn, you know as much about me as I genius as I do about you. And I'm sure that opened all kind of business doors for him. Absolutely. Because once he was meeting all these powerful people and showing them respect and knowing who they were, hey, man, Kobe, whatever you want, you call me, have your people call me, and that door will open. There was Mm -hmm. so much great that he was going to do that I think would have surpassed everything he did legendary already. Like the book, that these books that he had written, he wrote about superheroes. Like, who writes about superheroes of different races? Because his kids were mixed. He wanted them to be able to read books about, you know, superheroes or or, um, mythical characters that were of different colors so they could relate to them. I I wish we could have heard him talk about race today. I wish we could have heard him during all this hate. And you'd have all these, like, the people that are racist, but they'll listen to Kobe Bryant. Like, I think his best work would have been done now. Yeah. And we, unfortunately, he, he didn't get a chance to do that. No, but yeah, he didn't. And But it's up to the next generation of, of men to kind of keep it up. I know for me personally, just being a dad and having daughters and just watching him with his little girls and just that whole side of him, I mean, it really just – it, it sort of just disarms you in a sense because, you know, you're used to him as this certain dude, but you see him with, you know, Natalia and Gianna and how he talks yeah. about him. And, and so it just makes you be like, man, I got to be a better dude. And it's not a lot of people that inspire you, especially when you get to my age anymore. Like yeah. I don't have as many inspirations, but I will say that Kobe Bryant is a man, not basketball player. Yeah. But a man, he definitely was one of the most inspirational dudes that I had, you know, and cause I was off of him for a little bit, but then I just had no choice yeah. but to be like, man, this dude is just, you yeah, know, man, sharp heart. as attack. Always. He, he, he took a lot of things from Michael suited and booted after the game. And you saw the love for his family. Cause he was like one of the few players and perhaps it was because of his star too, that he could do it. Like you would see often when he's leaving the game, his wife and kids would be sitting outside the locker room waiting on him. Always. And you know the, the love for him because they were patient about it. It wasn't like they were waiting in the family room for him. They were waiting outside the locker room for him. Wow. That's dope, man. So I saw them little girls all the time because they were wait, they, they would sit there and wait for him for a half hour or whatever. You know, he was one of the last people to walk out. All the always. things he had to do. But, Shoot, yeah, always. man, that's – um. Yep. There were so many beautiful chapters to be written that we, that was stolen from the world. Absolutely. Well, Mark, man, I appreciate you, your time today. Uh, we've well, had wait, amazing... hold on. I'm going to leave with this because we got to leave on a good note. Let's leave on a good note, bro. Yeah. He, uh, he used to always tell me I asked a lot of Dr. Seuss-ass questions. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by, like, you come with the riddles? You come in with I the riddles? I took it as a compliment, man, because, you know, like, I also, like, minored in psychology. So my, my questions have depth to them a lot of times. And he said, man, you always ask me all these damn Dr. Seuss-ass questions, man. <laughs> so I, I refuse to think of it as a put-down. I, I do think it was a compliment, man. But I, Oh, that's hilarious. I, Dr. Seuss-ass questions. You always ask some goddamn Dr. Seuss-ass questions. <laughs> One of a kind, my man. Yes, sir. 
Bing, man. Oh, yep. Yes. Rest in peace. Rest Mark. Me, brother. I appreciate you, my man. Um, thank you for coming on KJ Live today. And man, I hope you can do this soon. Thanks for soon, bringing man. on some, you know, just journalists, man. Like, you know, yeah, I don't know if anybody to. cares what I have to say. Yeah, they do. They yeah. do. You got the voice. You got a voice, man. You're one of the most interesting dudes, man. And I love your work. Keep up the great work, Thanks, bro. bro. I'm a big, big fan, man. And uh, it's been an honor to have you on the show, man. I appreciate man, hey, it. Love you. Love your family. Yes, Y'all sir. basketball royalty. Keep doing everything you guys are doing on all platforms. Pops, <laughs> I appreciate you. You, bro. your brother. Yeah. Y'all, y'all, y'all define what basketball means, man. So I love you all. Love you. Con- continue success, bro. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate you, man. All right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.